0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. Uh, Again, my name is Russell. I pastor the church at Dwell. Um, I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine um, named Ryan about how weird it is being a pastor. Um, And I wanted to share something kind of... This wasn't planned until earlier this morning. I felt like the Lord had something... For me or for you guys. Um, so being a pastor is weird because if you feel like you can do it, you probably shouldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't do it. but but like when God calls you to it and equips you to do it, right then, then you can step into it. And so I think the reason he's putting that on my heart, I don't know what service it was in or if it was both services, but I just felt like the Lord was saying that there's somebody here that is maybe feeling a little bit of that pull and that tug on their heart to to pastor or church plant or do something um, pastoral. um, And you just feel like you can't. You feel like you're not qualified to do it. um, And I would say that you are right. Um but um neither am I. And here we are. Um it, it, I, I appreciate Stonebridge very much because this was the place that I felt as though God called me to be a pastor. I felt the call to ministry early on in my life, and it was really while I was at Stonebridge, um, that I felt like the Lord kind of gave me some clarity and it was really the body um of Christ that was here that, that kind of encouraged me and, and helped me to see the giftings that God had given me. Um and, and put those things to use. And so um, if if that's you, then uh, be obedient, please. Um, but the thing is, I'm actually going to jump in now. The thing is about being um, unqualified for the thing that God calls you to do is that there are moments that you feel insecure. Um, I do that, at least. Um, so I had this moment a uh, handful of weeks ago where this was Trying to process with the Lord, I was just feeling like in I was just feeling incompetent, like I wasn't gonna be able to just do my job well. Um, I'm not the most organized person, and and with with being organized in organizations and programs, there's like this thing that makes you feel like it needs to be shiny and polished. And and I am not shiny or polished. That's not really how I function, it's not how I do things. And in the midst of feeling this insecurity, I'm sitting in my room and I'm praying and I look up at the a painting that's on my bedroom wall um, by an artist named Howard Finster. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Howard Finster, but I felt like as I looked at this painting, I felt as though God was starting to give me kind of a connecting point that I was maybe like Howard Finster in some way. Um, Howard Finster is an artist from Somerville, Georgia. He actually has a permanent installation at at the High Museum of Art. If you haven't seen it, you should go see it. It's great. Um, But one thing that's interesting is that Howard Finster used to be a pastor. Um, So before he started his his life of art, he um, was pastoring a church. And so the way this story goes is that there was uh, one Sunday that he was preaching to his congregation. And then whenever he was done, he went out the door and was kind of talking to everybody as they were leaving. And he asked people, hey, what did I just talk about? And one after another, they didn't know. Um, And so he decided that he would retire. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you probably know regrets around that. He he left and became a bicycle repairman slash artist. And one of the things that he wanted to do, uh, or felt called to do, was to turn his property into a paradise garden. Um, he wanted his home to be this place that mirrored or reflected his vision of the kingdom of God and, and revealed his glory. Um, I went there recently, and it's interesting, I think there's some pictures, yep, um, love these. Um so I went there recently right, and you show up and you feel like there's these, so there's these towers of like scrap metal that have been welded together and there's just these mountains of concrete with sculptures in them and broken glass and, and then everywhere that you look, there are paintings of people and angels and Jesus and um, you wouldn't always, many people might walk in there and they would kind of think, well, it's not very well done. right or a beautiful maybe right but um but when you go right when you go and when you look at his art you are captured by just the magnitude of the work right I mean you are drawn into it and you can see that this is clearly a man that is obsessed with God and passionate about revealing God in his glory to all people That's what he wanted. There was a fire in his bones that just needed to get out, and he expressed that through art. And so as I'm sitting in this my bedroom feeling insecure about my unpolished life, work, ministry, I felt like people would look at me and say that I'm... And the reality is you would look at my life and my work and my ministry and say, maybe it's not very well done. Maybe it's not beautiful. The way I'm connected to Howard Finster is that for some reason God has put in me an appetite um, for God's glory. It is all, on my best days, it's all I want. I want it for me, I want to be able to see God's glory, I want it for my family, I want it for my church, I want it for my neighbors, and I want it for you. And so that's why I'm going to talk about it today. Because I'm afraid for myself and for many of us that we miss God all the time, that that God is revealing himself to us, but we don't see him. It's possible that what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13 to his disciples about the Pharisees, that it might be true of us also. He says, They see, but they do not perceive. They hear, but they do not understand. Their hearts are dull. Sometimes I feel like we see but don't perceive, we're missing it. And so today I'm going to be talking about the art of perceiving God. And so if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19, Uh, it'll also be up on the screen if you like it better that way. Um, I'll give you a second to turn there. Psalm 19. Before we read, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would speak to us through your word. I ask that you would write it upon our hearts and that it would shape us and form us. Lord, if you have anything to say to any of us through your word that I'm not talking about today, Lord, I pray that you would speak um, plainly to us um, and that you would highlight any word or passage that you um, need to speak over somebody in this room. I ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the ends of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of God. So in this passage, the first thing that we see uh, David talking about um, is that the heavens declare the glory of God and they have this silent voice that seems to be declaring and proclaiming and revealing who God is into all of creation. A voice that many of us feel as though we do not hear. But it is clear in this passage that that God is revealing himself to us through creation. Um, We see this also in in Romans when the Apostle Paul says that that man is without excuse because God has revealed himself to all people through his creation, but we have decided to worship the creation rather than the creator. I think that we see this also in John chapter 1, where there's this weird passage, um, or poem really, um, where John says this, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So what we know from, from John is that when he's talking about the Word, he's talking about Jesus. Right? Jesus was with God, and he was God, and that everything that was created was created through him. So for me, I look at that, and I see that Jesus is an artist. He is um, creating all things. And so, sorry, if I'm, I'm, I think it was at this point last time in my talk, I'm realizing that maybe some of you guys are like, whoa, this is going to be really mushy, squishy, artsy-fartsy. So um, you are correct. Um, it is going to be that. So hopefully that doesn't bother you. Um, so Jesus is an artist. I believe that. And here's the thing about art guys is that, um, I think that art, no matter, no matter what it is, no matter who you are, whatever it is that, that you are making, there's a piece of you that is revealed through what you make. And I think that, that is all the more true of Jesus, everything that he made, holds a piece of his image and reveals a little bit about his character and his nature and and just who he is to us. I mean, even for any of us, like some of you guys might be disagreeing with me, but I guarantee that if you were to sit down and draw anything, I would be able to learn something about you. Like if you just doodled something, what I would learn is that you don't care about art. (laughs) Right? Like I just learned something about you. There's a piece of you that's revealed to me through it. And that's just a fact, right? Um, but um, Henri Nouwen, uh, he is a, a Christian author, professor, minister, um, and he's, his writings are amazing. I would encourage you to read his stuff. I've, I've been really shaped and formed by this book that he wrote called Spiritual Formation. He didn't technically write it. It's a compilation of his writings, sorry. Um, But I'm going to talk about it a few times today because it's been so great. But he says this in his book. All of nature conceals great secrets that cannot be revealed to us if we do not listen carefully to and see spiritually its true form. How differently we would live if we were constantly aware of this veil And sensed in our whole being that nature desires us to hear and see the great story of God's love to which it points. Right, so what Henri Nouwen is saying here is that all of creation, all of nature has this veil over it. And if we could just see through it, we would see that written inside all of it, God has planted the story of his great love for us. I would say that this is true of more than just nature, even though that's what Nowan is emphasizing in this moment. I would say that it is all of creation, right? So that means that every relationship that we have, every person that we meet, um, friendship, parenthood, marriage, I would say poetry and writing and stories, like all of those things are, are veils and hidden within it, we can see and learn more about who God is. And I think that in Psalm 19, we can see that David is a man that is able to see through this veil. He can see God in creation. Now, we don't know um, exactly when this was written, so um, maybe David was hiding in the desert from Saul and trying not to die, or maybe he was um, just shepherding some sheep. But either way, I mean, he's probably sitting outside a lot. But for me, whenever I look at this, I feel like it's more than just like obligation that made him stuck outside all day. But I, I, I feel like he's a man that is just captured by God in creation, right? He's talking about like day after day and night after night. I'm imagining him sitting at night, looking out at the stars. and He's like, man, the heavens are declaring God's glory, but, but he's, he's almost like, it's one of those moments like what we see in the movies when there's these two people that are falling in love with each other uh, and they're just so captured by one another that they, they talk all night and they lose track of time and the sun comes up and they're like, oh, that was so sweet. <laughs> but that's kind of what I see happening here, but like the real deal with David, right, is he's sitting all night long with God and he's so captured by the light of God that he loses track of time because he goes on to say that that the the sun, it like bursts forth like a bridegroom coming out from his chambers full of joy. But he didn't just like stay up through the night and then watch the sunrise. No, he talks about it running like a strong man, the full course, that nothing is hidden from its light. I see him as a man that sat there all day with God because he was captured by his beauty, And then David does something that seems kind of odd. He, he starts talking about the law. Um, and b- what I see whenever I look at this is that I feel like he was a man that not only could see God through creation, right? But he, he saw the law. But, and whenever he looked at the law, he actually saw through the law. Because how many of us can look at the law and go, oh, yeah, that's so good. That revives my soul. No, I think he saw through it and he saw Jesus in the law. I feel like when he was writing this, it was Jesus who revives the soul, Jesus who makes wise the simple, Jesus who is rejoicing the heart, Jesus who enlightens the eyes, endures forever. It is Jesus that is finer than gold and sweeter than honey. It is him who lived the law perfectly. Perfectly. Um, similarly, I think um, the famous painter Vincent Van Gogh, um, he writes this to his brother Theo. He says, It is as if nature starts to burn. and everything there is old gold, bronze, copper, a sun, which for lack of a better word I must call yellow. Sulphur yellow, lemon yellow, gold, oh. Those who don't believe in this sun are real infidels. The sun, the light in the darkness, light that brightens nature and people, light that calls the dead from their graves. Those who have eyes to see will recognize that all light comes from the same sun. I think that there are few of us me included, right, that are like David or even Vincent Van Gogh in this moment, right, all of our lives we have been sitting under the same sun, the same sun that they sat under. And who among us in sitting under the sun has witnessed within it the glory and the light and the life of Christ? Christ. All the time, God is revealing himself to us, and yet, I miss it. Um, recently, my wife came home from the library with a book for our three-year-old, um, and I was reading it uh, to him, not by myself. Um, it <laughs> That's a funny joke. Um... <laughs> Uh, it, it's, uh, this book is about the blind men and the elephant. It's like an old Indian proverb that probably wasn't intended to be a children's book, but uh, it is now, and it was really good. So here's the story, right? So it's the story of these blind men, the kind of a community of blind men, and they live kind of close to like the prince's palace, and they always hear about all these wonderful things that the prince has and does, and um, they end up hearing about an elephant, and they become extremely curious, and they're like, oh, we have to, we have to feel and experience whatever this, this elephant is. And so they travel all the way to the prince's palace, and um, some, you know, somebody leads them to the elephant. So the first man goes up to the elephant, and he touches his leg, and he says, oh, an elephant's like a tree. And the next man goes up, and he touches the elephant's side, and he says, oh, okay, an elephant is like a wall. The next, the tail and a rope. The next one, the trunk and says like it's a snake. The next, the the tusk and says it's like a spear. And then all the men go back and they start talking about their experience and uh, they start to argue because they're like, no, an elephant is like a tree or a wall or a rope or a snake. And in their arguing, the prince wakes up. And he's like, what are you guys arguing about? And they're like, well, we we all want to go see this elephant, but none of us think that the elephant is similar to one another, right? And he's like, oh, okay, like, you guys are all wrong. You're all wrong. He sees the elephant is a great big animal, and its legs are like a tree, and its stomach is like a wall, and its trunk is like a snake. You only saw a little piece of who it is, who an elephant is. How true is that also of us with God? I think what is interesting about that story is that um, I, I don't think that it's actually the men's blindness that makes them blind. Right? I mean, obviously that didn't help, but like there was something more that was keeping them from being able to see and feel and experience like the fullness of what an elephant was. and and. It was because they do what we all do. They tried to understand the elephant through the lens of their own experience. They knew a tree, they knew a snake, they knew a rope, they knew a wall. They didn't know an elephant, and they tried to understand it through what they knew. And we are doing this all of the time with God. We are trying to understand who God is through the lens of maybe our wealth and our prosperity. Maybe it's through our poverty and our suffering. Maybe we're trying to understand him through our own sin and brokenness. Or maybe it's through our good deeds. There are so many things that we are trying to to look through, to understand God. But, but what we are really doing whenever, whenever we're looking at him that way is we are manipulating God into something so much smaller than who he truly is. We are reducing him into some box that makes sense to us. But if we begin to kind of switch those lenses, right? If we said, instead, I want to look through the lens of God to understand my life, then, then we would actually begin to not only see God rightly, but we would begin to see our own life rightly. We'd get to see through the veil of our own life and see within it in our pain and in our suffering we would get to see God at work. Henri Nouwen tells this story um, in the same book. He says this, uh, A little boy was watching a sculptor at work. For weeks, the sculptor kept chipping away at a big block of marble. After a few weeks, he had created a beautiful marble lion. The little boy was amazed and said, Mr., how would you know there was a lion in the rock? <laughs> yeah. and um, continues. Uh, long before he forms the marble, the sculptor must know the lion. The sculptor must know the lion by heart to see him in the rock. The secret of the sculptor is that what he knows by heart, he will recognize in the marble. A sculptor that knows an angel by heart will see an angel in the marble When the sculptor knows God by heart, he will see God in the marble. The great question of the sculptor is, what do you know by heart? What do we know by heart? We definitely know our experience, right? We even know what our expectations of God are. But do we know God by heart? And are we looking through that lens to try to understand our life? But how are we supposed to do that, right? I think that we have to do what David does. When when we see that David goes into, you know, he's looking out at the sun and the stars, and and then he starts breaking into the law, right? It's because David was a man that knew God by heart. He knew Scripture by heart. And it was through the lens of of who God is that helped him to see and interpret and understand God in creation. So if we want to become a people that can see God at work, then we must begin to know the story of God's great love revealed to us through Scripture. Scripture. And I feel like that feels so like, okay, yeah, read your Bibles. But seriously, I mean, I want us to, to like, I want it to sink in deep. Most of the time, whenever I feel like I hear God speaking to me, it's typically, it's not always whenever I'm sitting there with like my Bible open, right? But it is, it, it is through kind of the voice that I hear throughout Scripture, like leads my thoughts. I think if we can become a people that know God by heart, then this is what I hope would happen. I hope that we would become a people that maybe whenever we go outside and we look at a sunflower and we see the way the sunflower's face moves with the movement of the sun Maybe we would see inside of it that somehow it is echoing the words of Jesus that say, I do only what I see the Father do. Or I want so badly for us to be a people that maybe look out the window on a rainy day and we would watch the way that the rain descends and waters the earth and brings forth life and then evaporates and ascends back into the sky. And and whenever we witness that, that we would see that that it mirrors the story of Jesus who descended and, and watered the earth and brought about life and then resurrected and ascended back into the heavens. I want us to see the gospel and everything, and I want us to be a people that whenever we sit across the table from our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we begin to confess our sins, that maybe for a moment we would get to see through them, and instead see Christ in them that sits with us, and hears us, and knows us, and loves us, and forgives us. How differently we would approach confession if we felt like we were sitting down face-to-face with Jesus. And why do I think that this is important? I think that this is so important because um, art just hits different, right? It just it sits different. It actually speaks to our souls, You guys have probably read a million books or listened to a thousand sermons or or podcasts or whatever. We're constantly gaining knowledge about who God is, right? We feel like that's what we're doing. I'm trying to know God by heart, but but we're kind of knowing him by mind. See, but what art does is whenever we get to see and perceive God, it actually brings all of that knowledge and it moves it down into your soul and it begins to shape you and form you, right? We, We know this because all of us have watched some movie or heard some song or read some poem that just resonated in us. It shook us. It spoke to some part that's deep inside of you that you didn't even know was there. See, that's the part that God wants to talk to. That deep part of you. Um, and this, so, so, yeah, this is my last thought. Um, so this is, so, how do we do this, right? We're, we're, I don't know how you guys feel like you can practically apply this to your life. Um, you would probably think that my application is going to be go walk, through the woods and look at some trees and stuff. Um, nah, I mean, you can do that. That's fine, but don't. Uh, that's not my application or my encouragement today. Um, and it's not even necessarily to go, like, read your Bible. Because, uh, I mean, I definitely read your Bibles. But I'm thinking that most of us will probably, some of you guys that thought that this was an interesting talk, will, like, expect tomorrow morning to, to like, sit down with your Bibles. And it's going to be this, like, beautiful, poetic like revelation with you and God. But the reality is that's probably not going to happen. Right? I, I think that that is the beginning of when we are faithfully look, reading Scripture and we're writing it upon our hearts and our minds, then, then, then God gets to use that whenever he wants to, whenever he wants to reveal himself to us. And so it's those little moments of obedience that lead us to those poetic and beautiful and life-changing moments of revelation. But this is where I want you to start. I would encourage you to start. You don't have to listen to me. I would encourage you to start in a place of confession. What I mean by that is that I want us to do what David does. I want us to sit down. And I want us to sit down for a long time. As long as you can. I know that most of you are saying that's impossible. I have kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I get it. Um, or a lot of you guys just with work and life and all of that feels impossible to sit down, but please, please sit down as long as you can and be as quiet and still as you can possibly be. Try to avoid all of those things that we use to keep us from having to be silent, to be quiet, to be still. Right, All of those devices and media and all of that. And be still long enough that that you start to feel all of those anxieties rushing in all of your depression and your grief and your loss and your pain and your disappointments, all of those things that are the reason why you don't sit still. And I want you to look them in the eye. Become real aware of your brokenness. And then what I would encourage you to do is to begin to remove the veil off of your own face so that God can come and look your brokenness in the eyes and kiss your wounds. He is not disgusted by you. He is not hiding from you. He is desperately trying to reveal himself to you. And he is waiting for you to reveal yourself to him. He doesn't want you in your best dress and on your best behavior. You have nothing to bring God but your brokenness. And all that He brings is healing and love. Um, in a moment, we will worship, and um, I think we're going to have some ministry teams. If you're, I don't know if I, I didn't prep any ministry teams, but if you are a ministry team, if you could come to the front to give people prayer for anything that they want. Um, I just want us to to worship in a posture of just trying our best to remove these lenses that blind us. Our experience, our expectations, our disappointments, our grief, our loss, whatever it is. Try to lay it down so that we might be able to see God clearly. I'll pray for us. Um, Lord, who among us can discern our errors. Please declare us innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins and let it not have dominion over us. Then we shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.